Blog Talk Radio. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Mr. Speaker, I rise today to recognize an epidemic that is plaguing our service members and our veterans, and that epidemic is suicide. Each day, it's estimated on average 22 veterans commit suicide in the United States. That is more than double the rate for the civilian population, and it is an extremely tragic statistic. Earlier this year, the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans Act was signed into law to help combat this very serious problem. I applaud this step forward, but our work is far from over. We must continue to ensure that those veterans who are suffering know that they are not alone. They have family, friends, and resources readily available to help them heal and move forward. These men and women have given so much to this great nation. It's our duty to walk with them during and after their service. I remain committed to providing the highest quality medical care and resources for these brave men and women who were wounded in the car in the course of defending our freedom. I look forward to working with my colleagues to improve timely access to medical, medical mental health care services to ensure our veterans in crisis receive the help that they need. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. Make no mistake about it, folks, who you just heard was Bob, Congressman, excuse me, Bob Goodlatte. And I'll tell you right now, he is the chair of the Judiciary Committee for Congress. And I'll tell you what, he's doing some things, and he's a leader in our nation's capital tonight. We shine the spotlight on Capitol Hill on Congressman Bob Goodlatte. Folks, hang on to your seats. AJC Radio kicks off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, and Dennis Merritt and the AJC Radio team. And, folks, this is going to be a humdinger, if you will, as we have uh, been talking quite some time about members on the Hill doing some things, making some things happen that not only affect their district, but affects the entire nation. And Bob, Congressman Bob Goodlatte fits that mold. Dennis, as we were talking earlier, uh, we understand that uh, Congressman Goodlatte, I'll tell you what, uh, and this is always dear to your heart, very, very much about the veterans. Uh, and what we have found as well is the ability to cross the aisle and get some things done. Uh, involved in some uh, definite bipartisan uh, effect, uh, effective uh, legislation that's being pushed. Uh, Cliff, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, seems to be a true example of that in pushing that initiative. Absolutely, and that's what it takes. I mean, you got to cross the aisle. You have to, uh, you know, make alliances with uh, with everyone, every all members of Congress. You know, uh, Democrats, Republicans. 
because without that, you really cannot get anything done. It takes both sides to, you know, uh, pass laws, get bills pushed through. And so uh, Congressman Goodlatte has proven that he is willing to do that to ensure that the American people are served properly. No, absolutely. And we're going to get into that tonight, folks. It's going to be a good one. Uh, we're coming live from Colorado Springs right right now. A few moments ago, Dennis, uh, we stepped outside of the studio to observe some hail that was pretty intimidating uh, here. And we got thunderstorms and some sails hanging around here. Uh, but it won't change the temperature here at AJC Radio as we step out and shine the light on Congressman Goodlatte. Lisa, the disclaimer for our listeners, please. Yes, we'd like to remind everyone that we are not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You'll want to contact your personal legal advisor for all of your legal needs. Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or AJC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending a little of your evening with us. And thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, I'm going to bring this up. We're going to be discussing this on what you didn't know about the RP6 in detail tonight. And, Cliff, we have some problems uh, in our judicial system right here in Florence, Colorado. Uh, and they call it cross-hugging not allowed at our, at our uh, camp prison where the RP6s are right now. Doing some things, Cliff, that are absolutely ridiculous. Acts of retaliation uh, against these guys, the RP6s, who are model inmates out there. We're going to get more in the detail, but... These are some issues that I'm telling you that threats of solitary confinement as a result of showing affection and love towards your loved ones that come to see you. And if you do it, the threat has been made that you will be cuffed up and taken to solitary confinement, which is a a complete uh, violation of the order, I believe, and I'm confident, that came from the President of the United States. Absolutely. I mean, the order came down that, you know, solitary confinement is to be uh, banned in American prison. And the the issue, I mean, we've dealt with this before with one of the wardens up there. Uh, and What's his name? It's, it's, uh, the previous warden was Burkfile that we went and sat down with. We're trying to get uh, sit down with uh, the warden there now, Stancil. Can't get a sit down with him, but... The issues that we dealt with, uh, you know, you have a family member or more than one family member. You come to uh, meet one, you're you're put on the visitors list on another, and so then what do you do? And 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 this thing of them changing the rules and the regulations as they see fit every weekend, every time you go to visit, something has changed. And it's it's uh you say, they say follow the guidelines that are on the BOP website. Well, the guidelines. Uh, that that we see says they're totally out of bounds with well, this with this uh, new thing they came. Well, with. the one clear point that must be made is that this type of greeting uh, is a religious practice by the RP6 and its and the uh, folks that are coming to see them, uh, which has been originated uh, in Colorado Springs Fellowship Church by Pastor Rose Banks, uh, who is their pastor, and you're going to tell a pastor how to greet or not greet according to religious practice, uh, that is a violation of federal law and the Constitution of the United States because you have a right to re- practice your religion as you see fit. If that is a greeting that is, has been practiced for over 30 years in Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, and here's the kicker, has been practiced at that facility for over four years, 
Yes, and and I mean you see you see other visitors come in as as visitors come to the facility. They uh, begin to interact with other people's family members. So, you know, they they hug other people that come in. And, you know, this is not just a Colorado Springs Fellowship uh, practice. I mean, this is this is biblically based. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, in the Bible says, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss. And so for now, the the uh, for Florence, USP, to now say, well, this is banned. So you are, in essence, trying to ban the religious rights Absolutely. of these uh, individuals. And that will not stand. That's not, it cannot stand. And uh, uh, letters uh, have been sent uh, not only on Capitol Hill. They've been sent to the corporate headquarters and the regional headquarters of the Bureau of Prisons. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks. The minute you start not standing up for your rights and you let people take those rights one by one, there will be no rights left. And it comes a time where you stand up and you say, that's just not going to happen on my watch. Dennis, when you hear this type of nonsense, again, we're going to get more into it as we uh, get into the the RP6 uh, story tonight. Uh, is, is, what are your thoughts on this type of nonsense? I, I don't know. It appears that they're trying to antagonize the uh, RP6. I mean, and their families. Uh, and their families. Like, like uh, Cliff was saying, uh, we've been going there for years and uh, never, never really had that problem. But all of a sudden, you want to change rules. And make it so that, you know, family members can't greet their loved ones. I mean, I can't give them a hug. That, that's ridiculous. That tells right. you that there's no compassion for these men. It's all about once, once we get you somewhere, we're going to treat you like dirt. We're going to make sure your family feel the pain as much as you feel it. And I'll tell you, that's wrong. We, we definitely got to get that fixed. Well, we're going to address it, and we're going to continue to fight it as, in every possible way uh, that is that is under the law. And... Uh, we intend to protect the religious rights of the families of the RP6 as well as the RP6. And uh, uh, you can chime in on that. Folks, also, we're going to ask you to go to change.org. Sign the petition as we seek clemency for the RP6. Uh, they are Dave Zapolo, Demetrius Harper, David Banks, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker, which this program and all our programs are dedicated to. And also, we fight for the justice and fight for their release. And, uh, again, folks, definitely get out there. It'll take you a few seconds to sign that petition. You can also go to YouTube. Check out the release, uh, uh, the play that was released by H, uh, excuse me, retired federal judge H. Lee Sarakin, uh, who actually wrote this play of dramatization of the injustice uh, that happened to the RP6 guys. Uh, and you can go to YouTube. Just search the race card face up. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, it's, it's some serious, serious, uh, I, they call it, you know, when you read a book, they call it a good read. This is a good watch, uh, if you will, that uh, definitely gets to the heart and the matter, in brief, of uh, the injustice of the IRRP-6. So, again, definitely do that, folks. And uh, also, uh, Renee Lima, Marin, Lisa, we haven't uh, discussed that here of late. Um, uh, I've reached out uh, to the family to see what, what the status is on that, what's going on with that. Uh, again, the gentleman that was sent back to prison for... Uh, 90 years, uh, 89 years, yes, yes. Uh, after serving 11, getting on parole, uh, getting married, starting a family, buying a house, having gainful employment, all the things they asked for uh, you to do upon release from prison, and he's back in based on, on some nonsense by the judge who, was, who actually was the prosecutor in his case. Uh, you can go out to change.org and sign that petition as well. 
And, uh, folks, again, we need to look at a lot of things going on in the country. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed, and we definitely you folks need to get out and vote this November uh, and, and get the right person in the White House so we can make sure we're on the right track uh, as we need to go forward. Uh, current news, Cliff, uh, we were talking uh, Tuesday night regarding uh, Mr. Um, the, the, the gentleman in Minnesota, his oh, name Philando is Castillo, Philando Castillo uh, in regards to an audio that was released, Cliff. We talked about that. Share it with our listeners on that as we update what's going on in that case. Right. And, um, you know, uh, as, as many may know, uh, Philando Castillo's funeral was today. Uh, it was a very, very uh, moving service with a horse-drawn carriage and a lot of people, oh, excuse me, a lot of people came out to support uh, Philando and his family. Um, and so that is much appreciated. Uh, but one of the issues that happened is that they said that the audio from the call to the off from the officer to dispatch, uh, they have that audio there. Uh, and, and this is what uh, the Huffington Post, this, this article is out on the Huffington Post. It is entitled, Radio Recording Suggests Disturbing Reason Philando Castile Was Pulled Over. And it is reported by uh, Julia Craven of the Huffington Post. And basically what is said by the officer, who is the one who shot and killed Mr. Castile, he said to dispatch, I'm going to stop a car, uh, and then basically read off the license plate number. Uh, and then this is what he said, I'm going to check IDs. I have reason to pull it over. The two occupants just looked like people that were involved in a robbery. This is the one that gets you. The driver looks more like one of our suspects just because of the wide set nose, wow. the officer stated. And wow. these are the type of things that, uh, you know, wow. uh, it, when, when President Obama on Wednesday, when he, he met at the White House with uh, law enforcement leaders, and, and his statement is that we're going to have to do more work together thinking about how we can build confidence that after, law, after police officers have used force, and particularly deadly force, there, there is confidence in how the investigation takes place and that justice is done. When you have uh, you know, statements like this by the police officer that pulls uh, an individual over and says he looks like a suspect because of the wide-set nose, how—, how how is that the wow. description of uh, these look like robbery suspects, especially driver, because he has a wide set? Wow. Those are the type of things that make you understand that uh, the the community wow. relations with law enforcement, there is a total and complete a breakdown. Yep. And that is the perfect word, a disconnect, because black neighborhoods are saying this is what police think about us. So I'm driving down the road, and, uh, man, that guy's nose is a little wide. Uh, let's go ahead and pull him over. Uh, and basically, I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, they all look alike. There it uh, is. <laughs> so just pull him over. He's got a nice size nose on him. It's wide across his face. Are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. Lisa? And Lamont, you know, that's, this is what makes you sick is that things like that are exactly how these officers are getting off sometimes because they'll say that they had a reason they were justified to pull him over. They had a reason to pull him over. They, were, they were, had a reason to be afraid because they thought he, was, he had committed a robbery with a four-year-old in the back seat. Exactly they right. have a reason, though. So that'll be his reason why he did that. Yeah, it's unacceptable. Folks, 
read more about this. Uh, I mean, the story continues. Uh, coming up on the other side of the break, we kick off Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And, Dennis, this aims to be a humdinger. Congressman Bob Goodlatte. We feature him on the other side of this break. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff, but he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. 529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders faced with trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. And ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome back in to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, 
Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, we highlight Congressman Bob Goodlatte. And I'll tell you what, as I said on the top of this program, uh, he is the Judiciary Chair of the Judiciary Committee uh, for Congress. And uh, Lisa, uh, we've uh, done extensive spotlight on Capitol Hill with members of the judiciary. This is the head of Congress, if you will, for that Judiciary Committee. His position is I would say critically and vitally important. It most certainly is because the Judiciary Committee handles so much of the governing of our, our laws and our, and our country. I think his, his role is probably one of the biggest ones that we're going to see because the Judiciary Committee has so much responsibility and so much that they oversee for us. No, absolutely. And as I was sharing with Cliff earlier and, and, and the panel here, uh, very known uh, for his bipartisan uh, reach across the aisle, uh, definitely uh, in, on, in this bill, the uh, uh, Debbie Smith Reauthorization Act of 2014. Uh, uh, actually, this measure uh, basically was to uh, revisit the Debbie Smith Reauthorization Act of 2014, amends that act to reauthorize funding through FY 2019 uh, for back, uh, DNA backlog program. If you're familiar with that, Lisa, they had talked about a lot of DNA testing. Yeah, uh, the backlogs, them not getting to it because they had thousands and thousands of samples piled up and they yes. weren't getting them done. And uh, he actually uh, introduced that bill. And let, to give you an idea of the, of the bipartisan uh, togetherness, if you will, that they worked together on this, which speaks volumes about uh, Congressman Goodlatte, uh, co-sponsors, Car- uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, Congressman Sensenbrenner, Congressman Robert Scott, Congressman John Conyers. Uh, I mean, it goes on. Congressman Judy Chu, Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee. Uh, these are Democrats working to get this done. And I think this is what the American people have to see, that, you know what, this is something that needs to be done. Uh, and the bill actually passed. Uh, and I'll tell you what, the purpose of that bill was to help victims who, where criminals were getting away, basically, Lisa, for incompetence, where they can, how do you have a stockpile of DNA tests backlogged yeah. when crimes are being committed? And, uh, and also, I mean, testing the DNA to ensure those who are incarcerated for, you know, DNA crimes like rape and murder and things like that, that, the, that, yeah, should this person that's locked up, should they be the one who's locked up? I mean, DNA is yep. the most viable form of exoneration that uh, that has been used. So for uh, for Congressman Goodlatte to ensure that the DNA is being tested, uh, you know that that speaks volumes, and then leads to things. You know, uh, um, Lauren Hill of the the group the uh, the Fuji, she has now taken her her current concert and said, "I will use the proceedings from that concert to help pay for." A DNA test wow. for the backlog. Wow. So the the actions of Congressman Goodlatte leads to things like that, where others say, you know what? Because this was done in a bipartisan way, and it is good for the people of America. Others jump on board to see what he has done and make the uh, you know take the next step to to uh, further that. That's awesome, Dennis. Yeah, and this is commendable. I mean, as uh, Cliff was alluding to, I mean, if you think about it, if we if we don't take advantage of DNA. We don't do the right thing in reference to either exoneration or actual conviction. Let's put right. the right people in prison. And, you know, 
with DNA, we can use that to, to bring the people that's been falsely accused or falsely imprisoned, get them out of there. I mean, let's if we have DNA at our uh, uh, disposal, we need to use it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's life and death in many cases. Uh, DNA has, has cleared crimes that would have probably brought the death penalty exactly. uh, in many cases. So, it, again, it speaks to the character uh, of Congressman Goodlatte based upon the fact these are things, again, we say this over and over again, why the urgency to get out and to vote? Yes, And yes. that's, as, as uh, Reva stated the other night on the program, down to your local elections. Who is your mayor who, who, who will ultimately appoint the chief of police in your community? Exactly. Is that chief race, racist? Is, does he have a history of being a people person to interact and to deal with problems? Ladies and gentlemen of America, again, make no mistake about it. When we, when we begin to talk about these representatives, and Congressman Goodlatte is no exception, we have to see the importance of your vote. Who else would have headed this? And there may well have been somebody exactly. to have headed it. But Congressman Goodlatte said, I am going to get behind this. I am going to start this because it is critical not only to our lo- – and this is critical to our local community. Exactly. Everybody is affected by this. And I think that's when you begin to see the impact of our elected officials, why we spotlight these men and women, because this is, these are things that just are not readily out there. People don't know it. And I, I wouldn't have knew it. I mean, I would not have known it if, if we were not on this show and we had not looked at his bio and looked at the things that he's done to, you know, improve this country. And I tell awesome. you, that's a big one right there. I mean, that's and, huge. Uh, it's, it's appreciated. Uh, so it's here, uh, Congressman... Uh, Goodlatte represents the 6th Congressional District of Virginia in the House of Representatives, uh, has worked diligently to protect the freedoms and civil liberties in the United States Constitution. Now, if you just pause right there, he has worked to protect freedoms and civil liberties enshrined in the United States Constitution. Cliff, when you start talking about that, you understand why he is the chair of the judiciary. That's right. I mean... You have to. You, there has to be a basis based in law that says this is why people go. For, and it, it has been talked about from uh, you know the attorney general's pro, uh, perspective, members of Congress' perspective, and also the president that you don't put people in prison for no good law enforcement reason. And one of the uh, you know the core debates that uh, Goodlatte headed up, um, there was a. a article in the Daily Signal back in January where one of his statements stood out where he said to me the core of criminal justice is the requirement that someone not go to prison if they don't have criminal intent it is happening today and it should not happen and it has to be part of the reforms that we do and I mean we even heard the uh, director of the FBI Comey he said you know the man's real that there has to be intent for a crime to be committed. If there was no intent, then there was no crime. And we see so many people in prison that that is a huge part of why they why they ended up in jail. I mean, no doubt about it, folks. Uh, and, and you'll know that uh, not only does what you hear there is not only his passion for criminal justice reform, for the changes that have to be made, uh, he is focused also on, uh, of course, including private property and Second Amendment rights. He is also focused on securing the borders through immigration reform, creating a pro-growth, pro-jobs economy, increasing access to health care, 
excuse me, simplifying the federal tax code and ensuring veterans receive the care they deserve uh, and lessening the regulatory burden on the American people. Uh, additionally, one of Congressman Goodlatte's top legislative initiative is his constitutional amendment to acquire a balanced federal budget so that Congress will be forced to control spending. You're talking about holding people accountable. Cliff, your thoughts on that one? That, that is the, uh, the epitome, the hallmark, the cornerstone, whatever you want to call it, the reason why uh, that members of Congress are elected by the people of the U.S. We want somebody being held accountable. When you pay your taxes, the last thing you want is for, for, for the money to just be thrown to the wind. We need accountability for the people who are spending the money. Congressman Goodlatte says, I will ensure that that is put in place. And it goes further. I guess, it, you know, his resume reads very impressive. Uh, Congressman Goodlatte was elected to serve as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And, uh, he has been an active member of the Judiciary Committee since arriving in Congress, uh, serving in several leadership positions on the committee, including chairman of the Subcommittee on Intellectual Property, Competition, and the Internet in the 112th Congress, and ranking member of the Task Force on Judicial Impeachment in the 111th Congress. That's huge. So you can understand why uh, his colleagues up there believe him to be someone uh, that can get the job done. Uh, These are several uh, leadership positions within the judiciary. And those, when when, when you say the task force on judicial impeachment, that is wrongdoing in the judicial branch, whether it's a federal judge, whether it's a federal prosecutor, and I'll tell you what, Lisa, we need more of that in our judicial system uh, as a whole. These are things that have to uh, be enforced and have to be carried out. Dennis, your thoughts on that? Exactly. I mean, uh, when you talk about the judiciary, you're talking about justice. And uh, we got to have the right folks when it comes to justice, because if, if we don't, then we're going to have a lot of problems. But uh, him and his vision and... And what he's talking about as far as his position and where he's at. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you, you gotta you gotta be about justice. You gotta make sure that everybody held accountable because if there is no accountability, then we're gonna have some major problems. No, I think it's uh, you look, know, folks, this this just just scratches the surface of what Congressman Goodlad is doing, the different things, his experience and the experience that he brings to that position uh is, is critical. And let's give you a little bit of a history lesson if we can. On the history of the judiciary, uh, the Judiciary Committee was established in 1813. The House Judiciary Committee is the second oldest standing committee in Congress. The committee has jurisdiction over a number of matters from immigration, terrorism, crime, intellectual property, to constitutional amendments, antitrust, patents, and copyright. The committee is also responsible for oversight of the Department of Justice, Homeland Security, in addition to currently serving as chairman, Congressman Goodlatte has served on the Judiciary Committee in a variety, as we just mentioned, of, of leadership positions uh, on the judiciary. That tells you when you're talking about oversight on the Department of Justice, uh, I'll tell you what, that's the highest law in the land, if you will. Uh, they call it, of course, DOJ is considered. That's where the buck stops. They are the oversight. The judiciary is the oversight of conduct of the Department of Justice. And uh, I think that speaks huge volumes 
to to what uh, Congressman Goodlatte is doing. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, a little bit ago about the, the his push for criminal justice reform, and I'll tell you what he's very clear on this. But what's respectable, uh, whether you're on his side or not, he's pushing the issue that's important and that can make a difference. Let's hear what he had to say about criminal justice reform. Thank you for inviting me to participate in this bipartisan summit on criminal justice reform. There's a growing consensus across the political spectrum that our criminal justice system is in need of reform. Over the past few decades, the federal criminal code has expanded dramatically, creating an ever-increasing maze of federal laws and regulations. Many of these laws and regulations impose criminal penalties on people who make innocent mistakes and have no idea they are violating a law. Other federal laws simply duplicate state efforts. While we want to be tough on crime, we also want to be smart in the way we go about it. We need to make sure laws and regulations protect freedom, work as efficiently and fairly as possible, do not duplicate state efforts, and do not waste taxpayer dollars. Two years ago, the House Judiciary Committee launched a bipartisan task force on the issue of overcriminalization. After examining the issues facing our criminal justice system, we've begun to implement solutions. One small yet very important step is that the House Judiciary Committee's jurisdiction over criminal matters has been strengthened, which ensures that the committee will have the opportunity to review all new federal criminal laws and ensure that they are appropriately drafted fit with the overall federal criminal law scheme, are appropriate in force relative to other criminal laws, and are necessary. One fundamental concept we need to codify in our criminal laws is that one must intend to commit a crime in order to be criminally liable for that crime. Sadly, that is not always the case in current law. We also need to take a close look at the current system of penalties in place under our current law to determine whether additional reforms are necessary. The House Judiciary Committee is also working to identify prison reform priorities. Currently, there are more than 2 million people in prison in the United States, 10% of whom are in federal prison. The growing number of prisoners is a strain on state and federal budgets. The fact is that more than 90% of federal prisoners will eventually be released. However, All too many prisoners go on to commit more crimes upon release. We all have an interest in ensuring that prisoners successfully reintegrate into society and restore their lives. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, Talking criminal justice reform. uh, And Dennis, when you hear him speak to that extent, he talks. I, what I hear in what he's saying is the human side of Congressman Goodlatte. It's the common sense approach of governing or leading, whether it's legislative or whatever, that there are a number of people, as he stated, are going to get out of prison. Why not prepare them for a successful reentry into society than having everything pointed against them when they get out? Your thoughts on that, Dennis? Exactly. That is, and that's, to me, that's awesome. I mean, uh, when we're talking about, uh, you know, judicial reform and we're talking about, uh, you know, making it so that inmates, uh, because a lot of times he even talked about how, you know, you got people that are in there, you know, in in prison and 
and going through, you know, in there for, you know, long periods of time for what? You know, so he's saying that, yeah, not only do we got to make sure that uh, they're in prison because they need they should be in prison. But if they're, they're, they shouldn't be there, they shouldn't be there at all. And then when we do release them back into society, that we prepare them so that they don't return. I mean, they don't they, they don't become a repeat offender. And how do you do that? You do that with education. You do that with programs and you, you do that to make sure that the inmates understand that somebody does care. That when they do get out, they do have an opportunity to succeed. No, 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 absolutely. And and folks, that's what that's what separates Congressman Goodlett from maybe some of his counterparts. We've met a great number of people uh, that have that same drive. When you read down, as we did moments ago, the not uh, these are ranking members of Congress. Uh, Congressman John Conyers, known as the Dean uh, of the House, as he stated, uh, these are influential people that have said we will work it ta- i'm telling you if, if you just watch your news a little bit you'll know that that's not something that is easily attained it takes a leader with the mer- the, the the skills if you will of congressman goodlatt in his leadership role why he's been in several different positions of leadership he has gained the respect of members on on the other side of the aisle and as we know, we live in a time where it's always said nothing can get done in Washington. But it sounds like to me there are people there that are willing to reach across the aisle. How, Cliff, then does, do we allow, hopefully, the pattern or the example by Congressman Goodlatte to catch on on the hill to say, look, he's been there since for, for these number of years. These other ranking members have been there even longer, and they're willing to work with Congressman Goodlatte. Should it be a formula of success that other members follow what Congressman Goodlatte is doing? It should. And basically, uh, you know, how to how the American people ensure that is the, in the way that we vote. When we see people that have, you know, like passions as uh, Congressman Goodlatte and those that work with him, that is where we have to put our votes to say, it's members of Congress like this that are ensuring that the American people are taken care of, that our issues matter to them, and the way to ensure that is to vote. I mean, you see somebody who they're doing something lackluster, they're, they're not uh, seemingly have your best interest at heart, vote them out of office. And like we discussed on Tuesday, the vote comes from, you know, your city council members, uh, you know your 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 members, uh, your your chamber members, all the way, you know from uh, from your police chief, all the way up. I mean your sheriff, all the way up to the president of the United States. That is how the American people must vote. You cannot you cannot just say I'm just voting in the uh, in the general election for president because sure you might get the president that you want, but your local issues, the things that really really matter to you may not get addressed by who you have in office. Congressman Goodlatte has, uh, you know, his constituents have proven time and time again, we want him in office. Since 1993, right. you're talking about 23 years. You're talking, or uh, is that 23 or 28? But you're talking about a man who has been there, my my uh, my calculation is a little bit off, but you're talking about a man who has been there for uh, over two decades and has been serving his constituents of Virginia for that long, and the vote says whether a member of Congress is doing the right thing, whether whether that member Absolutely. is being effective or not. That's that's where it starts, and that's where it ends. 
is with the uh, vote of the American oh, people. Oh, without question. I mean, if you're in Congress 20-plus years, uh, there's a statement being made that uh, what you are doing is effective. Your constituents believe in what you're doing. But in this case with Congressman Goodlett, your colleagues believe in what you're doing. How you work with members on Capitol Hill is critical to your reelection efforts. You have to be able to do it. Uh, it takes a little bit of government, uh, quite a bit of it, uh, to run the country. And talking about criminal justice reform, uh, this bill was introduced in the House on October 8th of 2015, uh, Congressman Goodlad, and it states this. The bill permits a court to reduce the mandatory minimum prison term imposed on certain nonviolent defendants convicted of high-level first-time or low-level repeat drug offense, uh, including unlawful import, export, manufacture, distribution, of or possession with the intent to distribute a controlled substance. The legislation expands safe, a safety valve eligibility to permit a court to impose a sentence below the mandatory minimum for certain nonviolent cooperative drug defendants with a limited criminal history. It reduces the enhanced mandatory minimum prison term for certain defendants. So, and as well as it also establishes a consecutive mandatory prison term for a defendant who commits a drug offense involving a detectable amount of heroin or drugs. Uh, the bill makes the Fair Sentencing Act of 2010 uh, retroactive to permit resentencing of a convicted crack cocaine offender sentenced before August 3rd of 2010. This speaks to, again, the importance. Now, what, what's so critical here in this bill, it's, it has many faces. But it goes to say, even if you have someone convicted of a high-level crime, but it is their first offense. Let, let that be considered. These are acts, Cliff, I believe, reduces the incarceration rate in this country drastically. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, I, I certainly agree, and because there has, to be, there has to be common sense reform. There has to be uh, things put in place that, uh, that say, look, this a mandatory minimum, I think, is the is the craziest thing that they ever came up with, because you cannot say that it would take this amount of time for a person to be uh, reformed or con- or conformed after being placed in a cage. So for some people, it could take a moment that you know uh, this is far far worse than I ever thought it it, uh, it would be, and then that person deserves to be put up on uh you know for parole or you know basically revisit what happened to say that oh you know you sold a uh a gram of cocaine you need to be in prison for 20 years or not even sold you were caught with it, it you know that's the the drug law of the 80s that is insane to lock somebody up that long for such a a, a petty issue you drug abuse a person that's abusing drugs needs help needs medical clinical attention not to be locked up in a cage for 20 years. No, absolutely right. And uh, we're going to come back with this discussion on the other side of the break, uh, talking about uh, a bill uh, holding the Secret Service accountable. And what's critical about this is it doesn't matter whether a Democrat or Republican is in that White House. The standard and the accountability for the Secret Service is clear. We'll speak to that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday on AJC Radio as we highlight a champion. And there are many of those on our nation's, in our nation's capital. But tonight, we give a very special look to Congressman Bob Goodlatte, 
And I'll tell you what, leader without question. We're coming right back here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com. Ladies and gentlemen of America, welcome back. This is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. And I'll tell you what, folks, we're enjoying ourselves here uh, with this uh, 
spotlight tonight, and Lisa, we said it once, we'll say it again, setting the bar uh, seems to be the theme here on AJC Radio. Yes, it is, and it seems to be uh, rising continually, getting higher and higher. Well, I'll tell you what, Congressman Goodlatt, uh, I can't imagine, uh, and Lisa, again, we had the opportunity to uh, talk to uh, Senator Grassley, who is the Judiciary Chair on the Senate, uh, and his schedule is absolutely bananas. Uh, you can imagine Congressman Goodlett is no different. Yes. Uh, giving the responsibility of that uh, of that committee uh, of the judiciary and all that's involved here is just absolutely uh, overwhelming. And uh, I'll tell you what we said before: how are all the hats worn on Capitol Hill, given the number of things that are required of our elected officials? Are uh, critically important that we definitely share that message. Uh, with the American people. Folks, if you want to join in tonight in the conversation, uh, feel free to call 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. We'd love to hear your comments uh, on this program tonight. And uh, going back, uh, Dennis, we were talking about uh, on the, during the break, uh, Congressman Goodlatte's position of holding government uh, uh, employees, government entities, if you will, uh, accountable and it, it, it crosses partisan lines. Uh, he was very uh, adamant in regards to the Secret Service. Uh, as you know, we've had issues uh, with the Secret Service situation uh, for quite some time. Dennis, there's been some breakdown in the Secret Service guarding this president uh, of the United States that really hasn't been seen, according to experts, in the history of our country, the breakdown in the Secret Service. Give, give me your thoughts on that as we go into Congressman Goodlatte's position that we need Secret Service reform. Yeah, we have to have that. I mean, these men and women, uh, they're, they're, they have a you know, very large responsibility uh, to our, our, our leadership, and they, and they need to do the right thing. And if they're not doing the right thing, then uh, I agree with the congressman. Uh, we need to do an overhaul. We need to fix it. We need to make sure everybody understands what's expected of them. I mean, as a, as a uh, as an entity. I well, mean, the CIA. Come on. I mean, that's that's they're supposed to protect our president and protect you know uh, our, our leadership. And if they're not doing that, then we got a problem. Well, the Secret Service, uh, Cliff. If, if we remember uh, in the last year or so, uh, where the president is abroad, uh, not necessarily even here at home. He's abroad. And there's been issues with the Secret Service uh, breaking down on protecting our commander in chief. And I mean, it's uh, it, it there's really, I mean, you can't say enough about uh, how much the Secret Service has has failed the American people in this aspect. Because yes. if you think about President Obama, the first uh, black president, he has had three times as many uh, threats on his life as any president before him. Wow. And and this is when the Secret Service decides that, you know, they're going to take part in, you know, I mean, all the scandals that they were in. The, the one guy with, you know, underage relationship, a, a relationship with a I'm underage girl. girl. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the hooker scandal. I mean, that was down, overseas. Yeah, the one down in, uh, where was it, in, in Brazil or yeah. Colombia uh-huh. where they were down there and they were, you know, Partying, partying by the with prostitutes and everything. It's like, is somebody protecting the commander in chief while all you guys are out partying and drunk? 
where is the president and who's protecting him? And so Congressman Goodlad, I'm sure, had those same questions. The reason he came up and said, we need reform in the way that you guys are trained, that you do your job, that you are led. Who is going to take responsibility for leaving the president basically vulnerable? And that's what it boils down Absolutely. to. Absolutely. When the Secret Service fails, the president is vulnerable to attack. And uh, every American citizen has to feel that that is not acceptable. Oh, it was absolutely unacceptable. And I, I tell you what, Congress was outraged. Uh, but Congressman Goodlatte made some statements uh, in bringing Secret Service reform uh, to the forefront of discussion. Let's hear what he had to say. Mr. Speaker, the Secret Service has two primary missions, criminal investigations and protection of the president, vice president, and other dignitaries. As a result, the Secret Service is entrusted with protecting some of our most valuable assets. This is an extremely difficult, high-profile mission in an environment with zero margin for error. The Secret Service is comprised of many outstanding and upstanding men and women who do excellent work. However, over the last few years, a series of embarrassing scandals, security failures, and instances of poor judgment have rocked the Secret Service. These incidents range from agents' use of prostitutes on official presidential travel to Colombia, to an incident in the Netherlands involving intoxicated agents, to the agency's failure to initially apprehend fence jumper Omar Gonzalez, who was later arrested inside the White House. Following these incidents, the president appointed a new director of the Secret Service, Joseph Clancy, who has implemented a number of reforms. The president also appointed a panel of experts to recommend changes to the Secret Service. Through this committee's oversight and the recommendations of the panel, it is clear that despite Director Clancy's initiatives, legislative action is still necessary. We must ensure that the agency's officers and agents are properly trained in order to successfully identify potential threats and prevent them from materializing, as well as to ensure that the agency has the tools it needs to carry out its mission. H.R. 1656, the Secret Service Improvements Act of 2015, is bipartisan legislation introduced to provide much-needed resources to the agency and implement many of the U.S. Secret Service Protective Mission Panel's recommendations for improvements for the agency. I am pleased to have worked on this legislation with Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Conyers, Crime Subcommittee Chairman Sensenbrenner, and Ranking Member Jackson Lee. This bill makes much-needed improvements to the Secret Service. These improvements strengthen the security of the President, other protectees, and the White House complex, enhance Secret Service officers and agents' training, and increase the agency's manpower. This legislation also improves transparency and accountability within the agency by requiring Senate confirmation of the director of the Secret Service, the person entrusted to not only protect the president, but to also head a $1.5 billion federal law enforcement agency, should be subject to the same process of advice and consent of the Senate as counterparts at other comparable agencies. Finally, this legislation creates an ethics office within the Office of General Counsel in order to respond to rectify and help prevent misconduct at the agency. The resources and improvements provided by this legislation will help to reform the Secret Service and to restore the trust that Congress, the President, and the American people must have in the vital tasks that the Secret Service carries out every single day. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get more clear than that. Uh, Dennis, what stands out to me here, which is so, in the times in which we live, when it comes to opposition of a president, opposing uh, the president on different legislations, whatever the case is, Congressman Goodlett says this is bigger than that. And what is it? To protect the president of the United States, and as he said, you're over $1.5 billion. Uh, You better have the person in place that can get the job done. When you see this, again, he introduced this bill uh, as a result of the actions by by the Secret Service and the failure to protect the president of the United States. Uh, This speaks huge volumes. Your thoughts? Yes, very huge volumes because, uh, again, uh, you know, a lot of times you got, you know, Republicans that that are against the president. But he's like, look here, uh, our president needs to be protected. We need to make sure that, you know, the the money that's spent for this agency, that they're doing the right thing, that we're getting what we're paying for. I mean, make sure we hire the right people, make sure we train them, make sure they're held accountable. I mean, that's awesome. I'll tell you, that's all. Cliff, and uh, he goes further here uh, that says here that uh, the bill amends the federal criminal code subject to the appointment of the director of the U.S. Secret Service to the advice, as he stated earlier in the clip of the Senate, prohibit knowingly causing any object to enter any restricted building or grounds so that such object impedes or disrupts the orderly conduct of government business or official functions and prohibit knowingly and willingly threatening to kill, kidnap, or inflict bodily harm upon former vice presidents their spouses, their children, and who are under the age of 16. This goes far, not only in in protecting the current president, any of those that served in the office of vice president. I tell you, he's given respect, I presume, where it is due. And that is the key, is that, uh, you know, Congressman Goodlatte is saying, look, this is about the respect and the honor to the office of president. You can you can disagree with him on his uh, you know on his politics on legislation whatever you want to, but it comes back to and and we've seen it so many times where people not I mean by disrespecting any given president that that is not just a disrespect to that person but that is a disrespect to the office there of the go. president of the exactly. United States and that office should be you know that is the highest office uh, in essence in the world so. Congressman Goodlatte is saying, look, we have to give respect and honor to the office of the president, not only the current president, but, uh, you know, formers and their families as well, as long and even their children, you know, as long as they're under the age of 16, showing that the American people want the office to be respected, want the, uh, the president to be protected, no matter if you agree with him or not, it still boils down to the fact this is the president of these United States of America, and he deserves to be protected. And Congressman Goodlatte ensured wow. that, that that got put in place to say the, the um, Secret Service quit playing games with, the life, with the, uh, the life of our president and the lives of those that came before him and their families. No, absolutely. Dennis, when you hear that, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, it gives you a good feeling. And th- this is a critical point you want to point out. Congressman Goodlatte is of the Republican Party. Exactly. exactly. It, it, so we, we talk about a lot of times Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican. There are good things happening on both sides of, of the aisle here. And the fact that, again, as we talked earlier, he's able to bring 
people from the other party to say, wait a minute, and that's what politics has to, there has to be a point where politics stop and your oath steps in. Exactly. In this case with Congressman Goodlatte, he says, wait a minute, this is our commander in chief. Whether you like it or not, he's to be protected. And anybody, anybody that served in that office of vice president, former presidents, they deserve honor. They deserve respect. Everybody can comment about what's going on in that chair until they sit in it. Congressman Goodlatte seems to have an understanding. Wait a minute, folks. This is bigger than politics. This is about our country. This is about the safety and security of our country. Speaks to the fact of why he is chairman of the Judiciary Committee on the House. Exactly. And what I get from uh, the actions that this, congr- this congressman takes is that it's about let's do the right thing. The right thing is to make sure that our president is protected. The right thing is to make sure that those in leadership positions are protected. Again, if we're going to spend a hundred, uh, you know, $15 billion, we need to make sure that we're using it to do the right thing. And that's what he's about, whether he crossed the lines or not, whether you join me or not. Look, let's do what we need to do. Oh, it speaks volumes of who he is, speaks to his character, Cliff. Uh, that this is about getting the job done. Uh, you go down some of his legislation. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. He goes into, uh, I told you, he actually was over the impeachment, uh, uh, part of the committees who do impeachment uh, of, of, of Office of the Judiciary Cliff. Right. Uh, how important is that in the age in which we live right now, that how many people would be nervous to impeach a federal judge? Well, he he has put it on the line that, look, if you get out of line, you uh, get outside the law, uh, that I will come get you. And not only me, but I'll bring the whole the power of the Judiciary Committee with me. And if that but that's what's needed, because, right. you know, you have these, uh, you know, some judges, some prosecutors that they they start, you know, with their immunity. They start to feel like they have a, a God complex that, you know, I can do what I want. Nobody holds me accountable. Congressman Goodlatte says, I will hold you accountable and I will come get you with the law and again bring the uh, judicial committee with you, with me and we will we will hold your feet to the fire, bring you up uh, before a panel, make you answer and at the end of the day see is that if as a judge you need to be impeached or as a prosecutor if there's charges that need to be brought against you. That is what the American people are looking for as a member of Congress that says, you know, you don't get any uh, you know, political covering or or uh, favoritism just because you uh, you have this position as being a federal employee. You will be held to the same standard as every American citizen. Uh, that's critically important. And uh, uh, Congressman Goodlight is making mixing no bones about it. Uh, and again, in the judiciary, they are the oversight of federal courts. They're the oversight of of the conduct of the court. Uh, their responsibilities are, are are huge, and the fact as as we as, as Cliff you alluded to here that if he this would bring more respect to the body and the federal government, if we have more officers uh, or excuse me elected officials, uh, members on the Hill that share the vision uh, of uh, of uh, of the entire vision, if you will, of Congress, and that's transparency. That is about, look, let's be real about it, that what applies to one applies to all. He again goes into uh, the uh, impeaching of a federal judge. Folks, we make an issue of that because 
it is not something that is normally done. Oh, not at all. Not at not all. all. And uh, let's hear a little bit about what Congressman Goodlatte uh, had to say about the impeachment of a federal judge back in 2009. Mr. Speaker, it's a rare occasion when the House of Representatives must vote on articles of impeachment against a federal judge. Indeed, the last time this occurred was 20 years ago. However, when evidence emerges that an individual is abusing his judicial office for his own advantage, the integrity of the judicial system becomes compromised, and the House of Representatives has the duty to investigate the matter and take the appropriate actions to end the abuse and restore confidence in the judicial system. It is also rare for the members of the House Judiciary Committee to agree on anything. However, the committee voted unanimously last week to report out House Resolution 520, which contains the four articles of impeachment against Judge Kent. This vote came after a thorough investigation and much work by the task force on judicial impeachment. Specifically, the task force conducted an investigation of Judge Kent's conduct, which included working with the FBI, the Department of Justice, and the Fifth Judicial Circuit. The task force also conducted an investigatory hearing on the matter at which two court employees who were victimized by Judge Kent testified about the extent of his sexual abuse. At that same hearing, we heard from a constitutional scholar who testified that Judge Kent's misconduct rises to the level of impeachable offenses. It is important to note that Judge Kent was invited to testify at the hearing. His attorney was also invited to testify and participate in the hearing both declined to attend. As you have already heard in statements today, and as you have already seen in the Judiciary Committee report, Judge Samuel Kent's misconduct merits the serious step of issuing articles of impeachment. The evidence also shows that he lied to the FBI and the Department of Justice about the nature of his sexual misconduct with court employees. In addition, he pled guilty to felony obstruction of justice and to committing repeated acts of non-consensual sexual conduct, contact with court employees. He was sentenced to 33 months in prison for committing felony obstruction of justice, and this past Monday he reported to prison and began his prison term. Well, wow is the word, Dennis. Uh, I mean, unknown certain terms. This man, this judge, broke the law. Exactly. And as he said, uh, many people uh, don't agree uh, on, in Congress. They don't agree. You, you, that's why you got debates and kind of convincing and all of that stuff. But he, he spelled out very clearly the conduct. He didn't try to soften what the, what the charges were. He basically called this man a sexual predator, that he was as a judge. How dangerous is that? But what does it speak to the no-nonsense attitude, if you will, and no holes barred by Congressman Goodlatte. It's awesome. I mean, they said the task force uh, reacted speedily, quickly, in uh, making sure that justice was uh, uh, given to this uh, judge. And I tell you, when we got judges that think that they could do anything they want, like you said, uh, the, the God... A mentality of, you know, thinking that they could do anything. They, they're not held accountable. But I tell you, what, what the congressman did and what he, what he put together, they went swiftly and they took care of it. He's serving time. That's to let other judges know 
You can't just break the law, do anything you want, and then cry immunity. It's not going to work for you. Absolutely. Cliff, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it shows that, you know, uh, Congressman Goodlatte is telling federal judges, federal employees, that uh, you're not above the law, no matter what position you hold, no matter uh, what credentials you have, that if, if you step outside the law, that you're going to be held accountable just like any other citizen. And that is what is important about members of Congress. They're, if, you, if they show favoritism, if they say, okay, politically, I'm not going after this person because of their position, then the American people are going to say, hey, you know, you're just, you're just uh, business as usual as far as a politician. We don't want to deal with you. But when you show a nonpartisan uh, you know, a position that I am coming to get you, because you broke the law, it boils down to right and wrong. Uh, if if you're if you're wrong, and you happen to be a judge, you happen to be whoever. Congressman Goodlatte is coming to get you, and again, you know, bring the committees behind him and say we need to bring this person to justice because that is what it is all about. That's what the American people are looking for, and that's what Congressman Goodlatte brings to the table. No, I think that's absolutely awesome, and. Uh... Again, ladies and gentlemen, you want to get in the conversation, 347-838-8976, 347-838-8976. And uh, tonight, taking a moment to spotlight the life, if you will, the work, the continued work of Congressman Goodlatt uh, in our nation's capital. We've talked about a few things uh, that Congressman Goodlatt has, has put his uh, hand, if you will, to the plow to get going and to get done and it seems to be very effective uh, in his approach in working with the other members of Congress. Uh, I remember as we talk consistently uh, in regards about the efforts, uh, it's one thing to have an effort to bring about and to institute change, but when that change starts producing something, uh, as it is here, uh, I think it's something that, that definitely, Dennis, needs to be, uh, definitely, uh, you got to take note of that. Uh, because th- these are the, qu- the qualities or the uh, things we see that we speak in regards to leadership. Uh, and we keep uh, addressing that issue that, that Congressman Goodlatte sets the tone, if you will, uh, for that leadership on everything and everything that we've talked about tonight. He has set the tone for that. Exactly. Your thoughts on that? And you've got to be willing to cross the, the party lines, I'll tell you. And this, congr- this congressman, I mean, he's willing to cross the party lines. He's willing to sit down with Democrats, sit down and talk about the, you know, the problems that we face in this country and, and bring about solutions, I tell you. And, and to me, that's awesome. I mean, the, the epitome of a good representative, a good senator, a good congressman is one that truly is concerned about the people. When you've got a congressman or a senator that really cares about people, really care about right versus wrong, uh, abiding by the law versus breaking the law, I mean, you can't go wrong, I tell you. And he's doing real good things because he's that type of uh, congressman that says, you know what, whatever we need to do to make it right, let's make it right. No, absolutely. And those are things that are, again, critically important. Um, And uh, we have also where he speaks in regards uh, to the Criminal Code Improvement Act. Um, And that is something that uh, is definitely important. We're going to get to that on the other side of the break. Um, But I'll tell you what, the Safe Harbor for Response Act, uh, is something that's absolutely uh, uh, awesome, uh, and it's basically an opportunity for an employer to report violent behavior or threatening uh, behavior 
Uh, it states here, any potential employer who observes or receives a report from an employer acting pursuant to subsection uh, about violent behavior or threatened violent behavior of an employee or potential employee and takes reasonable action in good faith to respond to such activity shall be immune from civil liability under federal, state, and local law for such action. Cliff, it sounds like to me he is saying if you take that step, this is about protecting community. Exactly. How many people have gone to jobs where you have a disgruntled employee comes in and people are seeing something strange, but they say nothing? He says if you take the time to report, to, and honestly save some lives here, because you don't know the tragedy that may befall. Exactly. Cliff, how awesome is that? Yeah, I mean, that is that is absolutely incredible because the, the biggest issue for most corporations is they don't want their employees to sue them. They don't want it to be said that, well, uh, you know, uh, we, we said that you came in, that you had some issues, that uh, you had some behavior that we thought may have been, uh, you know, a little bit off, that may have been uh, deemed as violent. They don't want to be sued by that employee uh, if it if it comes to be found out that 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 employee really you know didn't have those tendencies. But on the other side of that, it is owed to the American people that if someone sees an issue with somebody that says, okay, this person might end up being a mass uh, a mass murderer. This person might come and shoot up the the uh, you know the the workplace. That needs to be allowed. Without, without the corporation feeling like they're going to be liable or that the federal government is going to come after them uh, if this person, um, you know, says, hey, well, you slandered my name or whatever. So Congressman Goodlatte said, hey, look, let's look at this from a common sense approach. Absolutely. That, you know, if, if an investigation is done and it's found that, uh, you know, no hurt, no foul, then everybody go along their merry way and, uh, you know, and, and all things are good. They don't have to be afraid of being sued, being held liable, and uh, in the end, it could save countless lives. Well, and, and, and Cliff, that's the point I was going to go to, is that this does not only – it gives an incentive to report. Right. It gives an incentive to pay attention. It gives an incentive to say, wait, something seems – how many lives have been lost when somebody may have been sitting there thinking, that guy looks like something is wrong legitimately. Right. Not because he's black, but because he looks like he's carrying about uh, 100 rounds of ammunition under his trench coat. That's what we're talking about. Exactly. So make no mistake about it. Critically important, Congressman Goodlatte, again, set the bar there. He continues to. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio, Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday, shining the light on Congressman Bob Goodlatte. We're coming right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. 
Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody that'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talent and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. When you turn off the lights. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear, there's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. 
In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight has been a good one, Dennis, Lisa, Cliff. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm excited uh, of what we have learned about Congressman Goodlatte, uh, a man that has set the standard, if you will, uh, of implementing change, not just talking the talk, walking the walk, and actually backing it up by being able to reach across the aisle and get these things done. Uh, uh, this is absolutely uh, awesome, and we're going to continue that discussion right now uh, in regards to his outreach uh, that goes far beyond uh, what we've come up with uh, thus far. Uh, Congressman Goodlett was very uh, uh, interested, if you will, into supporting a local community and daycare um, uh, help center that was there to actually make a difference. Uh, and I believe in this particular case, uh, it was an uh, area of property that was just not being used. Uh, Congressman Goodlatte took some steps uh, to kind of bring uh, that daycare and, and to help families and things like that. Uh, awesome, awesome act of kindness. Uh, he talks a little bit about that. Let's see what he had to say about uh, in supporting local communities. Uh, for over 25 years, a little over three acres of land and its associated buildings, previously wholly held by the federal government, have been maintained by Rockingham County and the Plains Area Daycare Center in my congressional district. 
1989, the federal government deeded these three acres of land to Rockingham County, but prior to this official declaration, Rockingham County had already been maintaining the lands around the facility. The land and building had been used as a garage and maintenance facility for the National Forest Service. However, it was no longer being utilized and the county was doing upkeep on the land. The land transfer in 1989 allowed this land to be used for public purposes. The county decided that the nonprofit Plains Area Daycare Center in Broadway, Virginia, which provides childcare on a sliding scale and helps many families who otherwise could not afford childcare, would benefit from use of the old garage. Public Law 101-479 allowed the deed to be changed from public use for the particular use of the childcare center. Donation totaling $75,000 turned the garage building into a nursery, daycare, and after-school care facility. Additionally, the creation of the daycare center provided for the creation of a playground at the center support and is open for public use. To be clear, the center and the playground is the sole reason that this previously abandoned government land is being used by the community. Unfortunately, because of the narrow way Public Law 101-479 was drafted, any extension or maintenance of the physical structures has required approval by the Department of Interior. In 1998, the county had to obtain permission from the department to add an addition that was funded through pledges and a county loan resulting in another $125,000 worth of improvements by the community. The building is once again in need of repairs, forcing the county to seek approval from the Department of Interior for repairs. Further, because of the terms of the deed, the daycare center has been unable to get a loan to complete the needed re renovations. I have been pleased to visit the Plains Area Daycare Center on many occasions. The center is committed to providing high quality childcare on a sliding scale. Well, there you have it, uh, Dennis Cliff. Uh, breaking down uh, him doing some things within his district uh, that helped the community, uh, that spoke to the importance of that daycare center there, uh, and and the fact that it was an opportunity for opportunity, if you will, Dennis. Your thoughts on, on how the congressman uh, kind of just put that together, spoke to it, uh, and made it to be something that's very important in that community. And again, uh, we come up with compassion. Absolutely. I mean, I tell you, you know, he, he has a heart. Yes. And I mean, he was very concerned. You know, we got land that's not being used, and uh, uh, t let's get let's use this land for uh, child care and uh, to make it, uh, you know, less expensive for, sure. you know, parents to, to provide child care for their families. I mean, that's, that's just, well, to it, me, that's awesome. Well, you got to be connected. you got to be connected to be able to do that. You exactly. have to have connection with the people. Uh, thus, uh, Cliff, why he's been in Congress for over 20 years. Exactly. The people who continue to vote him in realize that, you know, uh, Congressman Goodlatte is not just about being a member of Congress, just about having a seat, uh, you know, holding that position. He is about the people of the United States of America uh, and especially his constituents there. It, I mean, uh, actions like that, saying I'm going to I'm going to take this area and I'm going to make a daycare because the people need it, not right. not because there's some political, uh, you know, agenda. reason, some political agenda, some type of parlay he's right. doing with another another member of Congress. No, 
My people need this. This is a service they need to have a daycare. I'm going to ensure it gets implemented, and that is why they continue to vote him in, well, and that's why we're spotlighting him on Capitol Hill for it, for actions exactly like that. And Lisa, as a mother, uh, you know we live in times where stretching the buck uh, in today's society is just a common thing. As a mother, Lisa, to know someone is taking the steps to actually do something, uh, it's got to make you feel good, not only for you as a mother, but for all the mothers across the country. We got somebody there that, look, hey, we're about tomorrow. We're about the children. We're about you know, caring about uh, what's going on in this country. Lisa, your thoughts on the actions and the steps here by Congressman Goodlatte? Well, I think I have a great appreciation for what he's doing, especially with the tone of the country right now, with uh, having uh, young children, especially black children, and all the things that are facing them and the sure. concerns that we have for their well-being at this point. For anybody to be doing something that's going to benefit our children in the future is, I mean, it's a great, it's a great thing to see. Oh, absolutely. And folks, if you're feeling a little patriotic tonight, it's time to break out the flag. If they're still out from the 4th of July, you have a reason to feel patriotic tonight here on AJC Radio as we highlight someone in Congress. Uh, I'll tell you what, boy, the list is growing uh, to those members that are making a difference in our nation's capital. And we, we see some flags waved in the studio tonight. Appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, folks, you want to get in on the conversation, 347-838-8976. That's 347-838-8976. And now we go to something really, really important, which uh, Congressman Goodlatte uh, was actually uh, a part of this, the, United, the USA Freedom Act. This is huge, and it's already been signed into law. But I want to share with you folks some of the benefits uh, of that bill being signed into law. Went in the law on June 2nd, 2015. President Obama signed the law. It passed the House and the Senate, which tells you there are things that can get done in Washington. Uh, and let me show you the, as we go down and show the benefits of that bill being passed. Uh, for one, it protects civil liberties. Uh, ends bulk uh, collection, prohibits bulk collection of all records under Section 215 of the Patriot Act. Uh, the FISA Pen Register Authority and National Security Letter Statutes. It prevents government overreach. The bulk collection pro- prohibition is strengthened by prohibiting large-scale indiscriminate collection, such as all records from an entire state, city, or zip code. Allows challenges of national security letter gag orders. Uh, the NSL non-disclosure orders must be based upon a danger to national security or interference with an investigation. Codifies per, uh, procedures for individual companies to challenge non-disclosure orders and requires periodic review of non-disclosure orders to determine necessity. That's just, uh, Cliff, one part uh, of, the, of the USA Freedom Act, uh, which uh, Congressman Goodlatte was a part of, uh, also goes into improving transparency uh, and better information sharing with the American people. Now, let's just stop on that heading. Uh, Dennis, how important is that? that transparency and information sharing be a critical and vital part of information that is shared with the American people. How important is that? It's very important. Uh, the American people want to know what's being, what, what, what their information is being used for. I mean, anytime you go after a company and you, you, you say, hey, uh, I want to see all your records, uh, we want to know why. I mean, why do you need to see it? 
And I mean, there has to be some protection. There has to be something put in place to protect, you know, those the, the, the information holders or the information owners per se. And I think this is a good thing. Just also, man, uh, actually speaks to the protection of national security uh, and gives the government the tools it needs to create a new call detail records program that is closely overseen by the by the FISA court. Uh, contains an additional tool to combat ISIS. The bill closes a loophole in current law that requires the government to stop tracking foreign terrorists when they enter the United States. This provision gives the government 72 hours to track foreign terrorists when they initially enter the United States. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we, we need that right now more than ever. Uh, also increases the statutory maximum prison sentence. We talked about the minimums uh, to 20 years for providing material support or resources for a designated foreign terrorist organization. So uh, correction on that, that's not in regards to the Sentencing Act, but this is something that's in addition uh, to, uh, again, protect the national security uh, of the United States, and that is uh, in, in regards to providing material support or resources to designated foreign terrorist organizations, uh, protects the United States' uh, maritime activities from nuclear threats, weapons of mass destruction, uh, and other threats by implementing the obligations of various treaties to which the United States is a party. Uh, uh, I'll yield to the veteran here and the, the importance and the interest of security to this nation. Uh, Congressman Goodlatte, these are steps, these are things that are absolutely critical uh, to the safety and the security of the United States. And we see Congressman Goodlatte being a part of that as well. How large and how, how big is that, Dennis? That's awesome. I mean, this law not only protects its citizens, but it also goes after uh, those that want to, you know, uh, uh, in, you know, inflict damage uh, upon the country or, or in, impede on our rights. Uh, so it, it, it's kind of dual-hatted. And it, it's awesome, that, you know, that it, it addresses, like I said, not only uh, our, our concerns as far as our, the, the, the information that we would like to, to, to remain protected, but it also says, okay, now we, we can do that, but we got to make sure we keep this country safe so when it comes to terrorists, we're going to have to do, a, do it a little different. No, no, I, I agree. No, absolutely, Dennis. Cliff, your thoughts on that as we face national security issues right here at home. Uh, I mean, again, Congressman Goodlatte uh, being a part of something so big uh, speaks volumes to his character and what his vision truly is about. Yes, it's all about protecting the homeland as well as, uh, I mean, this is a bipartisan uh, bill that was passed into law. Both sides of the aisle uh, came together, and uh, Congressman Goodlatte saw to it. And that is just one of the things that, because so many times we say, well, you know, hey, Congress is, you know, they're, uh, they're parted, they're at odds with each other. But, you know, so many of these common sense laws that are in place came into place because of uh, members like Congressman Goodlatte that said, you know what, it's going to take more than just me doing this. It's, just, it's going to take more than the Republican Party. I need the, uh, some, some Democrats to sign on this. And he can bring them together because of his influence and, most important, his respect on Capitol Hill. That even uh, members of the opposite party say, you know what, uh, because of who he is, this is a good law. And, and I'll join in in getting it put in place. That those things are critical uh, to who he is as a member of Congress. 
Well, that's absolutely awesome. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, this is something that really makes a big difference. Uh, and it needs to be applauded. Uh, uh, Congressman Goodlett was also uh, 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 basically a part of the uh, markup of juvenile justice reform, uh, part of uh, uh, basically making the difference that, you know, hopefully uh, that will help to intervene with our youth. Uh, he's a part of that. Uh, the Tiffany Joslin Juvenile Accountability Block Grant Reauthorization and the Bullying Prevention and Intervention Act, uh, authored by Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security and Investigation Subcommittee Ranking Member Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee, uh, reauthorized the Justice Department's Juvenile Accountability Block Grant Program at $25 million from fiscal year 2017 through fiscal year 2021, offsets this authorization so there is no additional cost to taxpayers. The bill strengthens the JABG program uh, to further reduce youth crime. It contains a robust accountability and oversight mechanism uh, to ensure taxpayer dollars are used efficiently and appropriately. And the bill is named after Tiffany Jocelyn, who served as the deputy chief counsel of the crime subcommittee and was tragically killed in a car crash uh, earlier this year. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, this is what it is about. We said it once. We'll say it again. Congressman Bob Goodlatte, take a bow wherever you might be tonight, and I'll tell you, uh, th- th- these are things that shape a nation. We say that over and over again, Cliff, on this program, what shapes a nation, what creates tomorrow. Congressman Goodlatte seems to be the chief architect, if you will, on Capitol Hill that is putting the pieces in place to build a better tomorrow. Absolutely, and it, it speaks to the uh, to the term, you know, uh, for the people, by the people. These are laws put in place by a member of Congress, uh, voted in by the people, but the common sense uh, bills that he is getting passed, these are laws that are for the people of the United States. Absolutely. And therefore, they're by the people that voted him in. And that is what the chain of events is supposed to be. That is the circle of life, of law, uh, um, as such, that you vote in a member of Congress, they do what it takes to get the laws put in place, that you as an American citizen want in place, not just because there's some, uh, you know, political uh, height for him to for him to do it, but because it is what the people want and is because because it's what helps the people of the U.S. That's who Congressman Goodlatte is. Oh, absolutely. And Lisa, it sounds like to me, uh, do we need a spotlight on Capitol Hill? One, two, three, four. Because what we're running into here is so much information about what these members are doing. It just cannot be contained in one show. Lisa, help me out here. What are your thoughts on that? Sure, it'd be great to do this one again. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to actually have an opportunity, uh, hopefully, to shine the light further on Congress and Good Light. We want to thank his staff uh, and the people up there on Capitol Hill that, that, uh, that basically help him be uh, who he is and making a difference in our nation. Folks, on the other side of the break, we're coming back with the RP6, what you didn't know. I'll tell you what, we deal with the abuse of power at Florence, Colorado prison camp where the RP6 are there. We'll be right back, folks. This is Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday. We're coming back with the RP6. Grab a cup of coffee, uh, some lemonade. We are in the middle of summer, and uh, it, it doesn't get any better than this, folks. We're coming right back here on Spotlight Thursday. We'll be right back.
For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. And when you hear that, we understand here in the United States of America, there's no mission that's impossible. And at AJC Radio, we tackle those missions. Tonight, as we go into what you didn't know about the IRP-6, the abuse of power and the threat of solitary confinement for one horrible act, what is that? I hug my loved one in the visitation room. Folks, we're coming back with what you didn't know about the IRP-6. A just cause has found something very interesting. A playwright by Judge H. Lee Serrigan about the IRP-6. It starts right now. Take a look. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. My name is Gary Walker, and I'm serving a sentence of 11 years in the same prison. Just an aside, not only were the six of us all devout members of the same church, there was not a single criminal charge or conviction among any of us until these unbelievable events unfolded. My name is Clinton Stewart, and I'm serving a sentence of 10 years at the same prison in Colorado. It's fitting that we lived, prayed, and worked together that we should end up dying together, because that is what prison is for us and our families. I am... Kendrick Barnes, and I am serving a seven-year sentence at the same prison in Colorado. I was the chief information officer at IRP Solutions, the name of our company. I testified, and then Gary objected. A Donnybrook broke out, because Gary said our Fifth Amendment rights had been violated by compelling us to testify. The judge said she had not said anything of the kind, and we demanded the transcript. 
We were all absolutely unanimous in our verbatim version of what she had said. She denied production of the transcript for that day and at the time, some 200 pages, but assured us that they would be produced at the end of the day. Transcript of that particular conversation in the courtroom between us and the judge has never been produced. I am Demetrius Harper, and I'm serving a 10-year sentence at the same prison. And then in June of 2009, four years later, they finally got a grand jury to indict us. This time, they only called one witness, an FBI agent. And the old adage that a prosecutor can indict a ham sandwich was proven. This is a production that sets the bar and takes a sincere look at the RP6 story. Judge H. Lee Serkin, retired federal judge, felt compelled to say something. We will not remain silent to see the full story, the full playwright of the RP6 tragedy. Go to YouTube. Search the race card. You don't want to miss it. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. What we have learned is that the RP6 story was supposed to be the American dream is an American nightmare. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. And this is a unique case in the sense that you have six men, six businessmen that have been wrongfully convicted. You would think the media would jump all over it. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to sentence. Is this happening in America? The American dream of the RP6 has turned into a nightmare, crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. Ladies and gentlemen, go out to change.org, sign the petition now. America's future depends on it.
there you have it, folks, what you didn't know about the IRP-6. And what you heard was a dramatization of injustice. Tonight, what you didn't know is that the Florence Correctional Facility in Florence, Colorado, the camp where the IRP-6 are wrongfully being held on a wrongful conviction, uh, has stepped the bar, not only want to say stepped up, but they have sunk, they've basically dropped to an all-time low. Uh, that low is to basically take away the religious right of greeting. Uh, as we are, as Cliff and I had discussed at the top of the program, that is biblically based, that you are able to greet brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, which these men are, uh, in a particular manner. That right cannot, will not be forfeited for any reason. Dennis, we were talking earlier in regards to the rules on the Bureau of Prisons website, and your thoughts as you were sharing with us was what? Yes, when I read it, it says, uh, in most cases, handshakes, hugs, and kisses in good taste are allowed at the beginning and end of a visit. It says staff may limit contact for security reasons to prevent people from trying to introduce contraband and to keep the visiting uh, area in an orderly manner. Okay. So I read that, and and what gets to me is, first of all, uh, the IRP-6, these are model inmates. Never had a problem whatsoever. Never gives anybody a problem. These, they're, they're doing whatever they're told to do. And for them to, you know, say that, you know, we can't hug, you know, a, a family member, to me that's just out of control. That tells me that they, they, they have to have something against the RP6 because I've never heard of anything like that. Well, not only have they're, you not ever heard of it, you haven't seen it. I, exactly. Because uh, since we've been visiting we've been allowed to hug without any problem without any problems and now all of a sudden and that's another thing that gets me about florence about the bop you you got rules in place but you don't follow them they they change on a daily basis every visit is different every visit is based on who's sitting at that desk what officer is sitting on that desk and and to me that's wrong you can't have a, a, a web page that states how I, as a family member, or uh, should react or oh. interact with an inmate, and then the next the next week I come is totally different. And the thing is, I mean, we that that is, uh, I mean, I I totally agree with you, Dennis, because you see one thing on BOP website that says this is the rule, this is the regulation, this is the guideline, this is the process, this is the procedure in how visitations are, are, uh, are conducted. Then you get up to the desk and you get another set of rules. Wow. And, 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 I mean, it's not always the guards. Uh, right. Then, because the guards will say, well, this is what was handed down to us at the beginning of the week, uh, last week, today, an hour ago. That is when if the reason that the rules are in place is to show the visitors and the inmates that this is how the visitations are to be conducted so that there is no arbitration, so that there is no question about what's going on. But if you change it midstream and, and it's not posted on the I mean, those rules that Dennis just read, those have been out there for some time. That is the basis of the visitation well, procedure. And now for them to say, okay, now it's changed. Well, says who? Well, I'll tell you this. Last uh, week we had a conversation with Lieutenant Campbell, 
uh, out there. His statement was clear to me. He said it was told to the officers to break up the group. Now, when we first started visiting, they said we'd like to keep all of you guys together just as a convenience. And I, my question to Lieutenant Campbell was, why would somebody send a directive, break up the group? For what reason or for what purpose? And then now you want to violate and make no mistake about it. And let us be clear. This is not simply a violation of a rule. This is a violation of the religious right. practices and the religious right of a community group and family that is being targeted without cause. I can tell you, according to law, any federal prison who has a post-operational rule, say hypothetically you want to create that rule, that you cannot hug or do whatever, the Constitution supersedes any federal prison uh, operational rule that may be posted. How does the Constitution overrule this? The right to practice your religious right and practices freely. Under the Constitution, you cannot touch that. You will not touch that. We will not walk lightly with this, and AJC and a just cause will not cease to fight for the religious right and practices that every citizen is allowed and guaranteed under the law. We will not. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen of America, to this continued discussion as we fight for justice and the religious right to hug and to greet our brothers in the way that we've been told to do as a religion and a religious practice. We will continue to do that. And if you have questions on that, uh, you can definitely feel free to call us. Uh, this is an outrage. It is. And when you start, again, taking right after right after right, but one thing you're not going to do, you're not going to cross the line and, and, and affect my religious right and my religious practices. If I come into a visiting room and I have whatever religion and I want to get on my knees and bow and get on the floor and kiss the floor, guess what? You're not going to do nothing about it. Every citizen has a right to practice his religion freely. You're not going to take that from the RP6 nor their families and their friends. Lisa? Who are the RP6? They are David Banks, Dave Apollo, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Clinton Stewart, and Gary Walker. We fight for justice, and we fight for the release of these men, and we will continue to do so. Go to change.org, sign the petition that these men could be set free. But I'll tell you right now, there are people responsible for the wrongful conviction of these men. We call them the perpetrators of justice. Lisa, who are they? They are U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfeld, Attorney Mark Garrigo, Susan Holland of ETI Professional Services, and Samuel K. Thurman. And thank you for that. Folks, feel free to go to AJCRadio.com, listen to this program and all of our programs that we have. Uh, I'll tell you what, folks, we continue to seek for justice. Good night, America. This is AJC Radio signing off.
as we continue to bring the message of justice all around the world. Good night, America. We'll see you next time. Good night. You solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. Mr. Speaker. I rise today to recognize an epidemic that is plaguing our service members and our veterans, and that epidemic is suicide. Each day, it's estimated on average 22 veterans commit suicide in the United States. That is more than double the rate for the civilian population, and it is an extremely tragic statistic. Earlier this year, the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans Act was signed into law to help combat this very serious problem. I applaud this step forward, but our work is far from over. We must continue to ensure that those veterans who are suffering know that they are not alone. They have family, friends, and resources readily available to help them heal and move forward. These men and women have given so much to this great nation. It's our duty to walk with them during and after their service. I remain committed to providing the highest quality medical care and resources for these brave men and women who were wounded in the car in the course of defending our freedom. I look forward to working with my colleagues to improve timely access to medical, medical mental health care services to ensure our veterans in crisis receive the help that they need 